All right. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year. If I was here more often, I'd use my favorite dad jokes like, I haven't seen you since last year. I just talked to your mom. You haven't talked to her in a year. But for me, it's been at least probably over a year. Uh, a little backstory. Um, when I first uh, started attending New Break, it was at this campus. Uh, found this place, loved it. Fell in love with this place. Fell in love with setting up and tearing down each and every week. God bless everyone that does that. I, I was there. I remember it. Um, but yeah, I attended here for a year with my wife, uh, and then um, I was on staff here for a year, and then there was an opening um, at the OB campus, and, uh, and so I had to take it. It was definitely heart-wrenching, um, but it was good, and I know that Tony um, is doing an awesome job. If you're new here, um, Steve Bombacci um, is the campus pastor, and he says it just like that. My name is Steve Bombacci. He says it really fast, and I always love to, to kind of uh, you know, make fun of him a little bit for it. Uh, and then Tony's the campus director. He's just getting back, I believe, like, on the, like way back on an airplane uh, from the Holy Land, so he's going to have all kinds of awesome stuff to share with you guys. Um, But I'm excited to be here. I'm excited that it's a new year. And what I love so much uh, about a new year um, is really the idea of like new possibilities, right? Like I'm slowly starting to get into this idea of like like really being intentional about setting my goals beforehand. Uh, I always feel like really from November through February is kind of a wash. Anyone else feel that way? You know, because November to Christmas is like useless. Like, why do we have to work? Like, if you're in sales, you're not going to try and pick up a new client. Uh, if you're like working on a project, you're just going to be at an office place where you're just, you know, eating, you know, dinners and eating cookies and stuff like that. You're not really being productive. And then the new year starts and it's rough and it's tough because like Mike said, we're all writing the wrong date on checks or, you know, if you're in the military, you have to do forms all the time. It's just like scratch it out, nine instead of an eight. And so as I come into this year, I'm really trying to like set up new goals. And I got this calendar that I can write on and I'm trying to be intentional uh, because I find that if I'm not, things will just escape and they'll run away from me, right? And if you imagine for a second, if we had like a marker board, imagine um, that you had all of kind of the drama and the trauma uh, of this past year uh, up on your marker board, right? Like we could all throw things up there. It could be relational disasters or things that fell apart. We could put politics, regardless of where you stand on the spectrum, you could put politics up there. Um, You could put natural disasters. You could put so many things, health issues and all this. You could put them up on our board. And if we're not careful to, to erase that board or to flip it over or whatever it is and start over, we can carry those things into the new year with us. And, and none of us want to do it, but sometimes we do that. I can look back on my life, and I have young kids, so this is part of it. You don't really ever get a break. But I can look back on my life and think of things that I've been trying to sort out that have been on my reminders list for two-plus years, right? And at this point, I should say completed and then add it back on there because once it gets past 50 weeks, 60 weeks, 75 weeks, it's just not happening. And I just don't even look at the top of my, the reminder app uh, on my phone, but as we, as we start this new sermon series, and it's called From Surviving to Thriving, we really need to embrace this idea that if we want to experience progress, that if we want to move forward, which hopefully there's no one here in life that wants to go backwards, that no one wants to, you know, old church term, that wants to backslide, or somebody wants to get worse at something or become less competent at something. We all want to move forward in some way. If, that, if we want that to happen, if we want progress... We have to be willing to experience life change. We have to be willing to change parts of our lives. And listen, that's the most difficult part. I was reading this kind of this study um, just talking about like resolutions people keep. You know, and most people have financial uh, resolutions they want to take. They have health, um, uh, you know, resolutions they want to make. And then usually it falls somewhere between like traveling or, or relational stuff they want to improve. And they were zoning in specifically on like health resolutions. And, and this guy said, you want to know what the best diet there is in the world? 
It's the one that you'll actually do. It doesn't matter how good or how clever of a diet is. If you do not actually put the work into it, it won't work for you. It will not happen. So that's why when you meet somebody, it's like, I'm cutting out everything, but, you know, like the energy of the universe to sustain me. It's like, eventually, uh, it's going to fail. Like, that's going to fall apart. Same thing with Bible reading plans. Maybe some of you guys have Bible reading plans. You want to read more of the Bible this year. You want to, you know, read at least five, six days a week or, or, or whatever it is. You need to have one that you can actually do. If you have one that you're like, if I wake up at, you know, three hours before I have to do anything and, and read this Bible plan, I'm going to get through it. Unless you're super motivated, you're probably going to fall off of that bandwagon. And eventually you're going to find yourself wherever you are. So there is this idea that if we want to move forward, we have to be willing to experience life change. Because if we aren't moving forward, what happens is, is that we become stagnant. We, uh, you know, we, we stop moving. We just become kind of this you know, relaxed you know, law of physics and object in motion is going to stay in motion, that whole thing. And for me, the most powerful example of stagnation uh, is not far from us. Has anyone here ever been to the Salton Sea? Has anyone ever gotten in the water in the Salton Sea? You never want to swim in water where they literally have like warning indicators. When the you know, carbon sulfur dioxide's too high, you don't want to get in there. Uh, we uh, used to do a men's retreat, and we would kind of go around there. And so a few years back, I got to go there for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's amazing and remarkable. It's in the desert, if that's your thing, and you can enjoy it. But there's this body of water, and it's really depressing because uh, the water is really toxic. And to find large fish dead is really normal. But there are still people that will fish. There's actually a bunch of birds that have decided to make this their habitat. Um, which is sad for them, but that's why they really don't know what to do with the Salton Sea. But when you go there, you see remnants of planned neighborhoods. You see remnants of basically like a planned yacht club. It's got like the big building, and it's got like, you know, the circles that represent a yacht club. And uh, at some point, this was a growing, changing kind of thing, and through several kind of really interesting circumstances, the Salton Sea uh, became incredibly dangerous, incredibly, uh, you know, uh, incredibly high levels of salt and things like that. And so it'll die. You can see the water. You can see the separation, the brackishness. You can see at the top there's whatever, and there's a clear line. And when you're walking on the shore, you're like, I do not want to get in this water. But people will still get into this water. Imagine for yourself, let that be the mental picture, that if we aren't willing to make life change, that we're stagnant, that our life is stagnant, that we've, that we've paused, we've stopped growing and I also know that there are some people in this room, and me personally, my own life, that you're going through something, that you have carried on some kind of trauma into this new year, and you're not interested in moving forward. You are interested in surviving. And that's a, and that's a normal temptation. That's something that we all want to do. I, I'm not interested in dying, but I just want to survive. But God calls us to more than just surviving. I think is beautiful and I think um, is awesome. Here, we'll skip forward. God wants, us, God wants to move us from dying eventually to surviving, right, to eventually all out thriving. When I was uh, in student ministry, whenever I was actually a youth, we had our, our small groups were called survival teams because, you know, we were a bunch of like teenage boys and we were just trying to survive. But eventually as we moved on, we renamed our whole youth ministry to like thrive because we wanted to thrive. We wanted to grow. We wanted to be intentional about moving forward in our lives. Uh, and so there's this powerful passage. And really this passage um, is the, the, the theme of this entire sermon series for the next several weeks. Um, we will be kind of jumping around, but we're always going to try and land on this passage. 
And if you've not already started to memorize scripture, or maybe you're looking for a scripture for the year, um, this is a great one if you haven't picked one. It's an awesome passage of scripture. Um, It goes like this. It says, the thief, talking about the enemy, talking about the devil, our accuser. This is Jesus speaking. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Sounds like some of my in-laws, right? I'm just kidding. They're probably watching on social media. No, uh, but, uh, but like if, if like the devil or like evil had like a headquarters and you could like go visit it, I don't know why you would, but if you could, and you know like where the receptionist was and then on the back wall behind the receptionist was like the mission statement of like the devil, that would be on his wall. I'm here to steal, I'm here to kill, and I'm here to destroy. It's all I'm interested in doing. And, and that's what he wants to do to us because he wants to limit us. He doesn't want us to live a full life. He doesn't want us to have a thriving life because he's interested in us living a life under our own power, but interested in God enough that when things don't go our way, we get frustrated and we say, why, God? Where, God? Like, where were you? And that's, if we're not careful, where, where it will land. But Jesus presents this better alternative, this better reality that we can live in. He says that I've come to give you life and to have life to the full. The context of this passage in John 10, um, the, the heading, if you have your Bibles with you, the heading is the good shepherd. And, and Jesus is talking about you know, being a good shepherd and using you know, the, the farming, you know, the animal husbandry kind of analogy of like, I am a good shepherd. And he's talking to Israel, and he's talking to a country um, who had spent much of their time uh, at battle and at this time was actively under um, enemy occupation. And so they have experienced bad leadership. They have experienced um, you know, bad shepherds, in a sense. And he's saying that I am the good shepherd. And it's really cool because it goes on talking about that when the good shepherd is there and whenever a wolf comes, he's going to stand and defend. He's going to take care of his sheep. But if it's just a hired hand, somebody that doesn't really care about the sheep, the moment trouble comes, he's going to run away. And I think that speaks to all of us, right? All of us have had times in our lives where we have tried to set up boundaries and defenses and things in our own control, but they weren't God. We didn't let God be the Lord of our life in that sense. And when trouble came, it seemed like our guardians, our barriers, our defenses kind of fell. And I think for many of us, we can look back on this last year and see that that's happened. And if we're not careful, we will carry those things into this new year. And not only will you carry those hurts and those traumas, you will carry the blame upon which you're putting it. You're going to look at God and say, God, that was your fault. God, you did not intervene. God, you did not do X, Y, and Z. Thus, I'm hurting. And while life is certainly filled with hurts, and I'm not saying that if you follow Jesus and follow God, your life is going to be perfect and easy. But if you don't put God first, we are really going to lose the grip of reality, and especially of the reality that God wants to have for us. And one thing that I fully believe, and especially in relation to that passage, is that God wants us to make 2019 a year that we thrive. And this isn't some prosperity gospel thing. It's nothing like that at all. What it's saying is that I promise you that God is not interested um, in hurting us, in wounding us, in setting us back for no reason. It's not his, that's not his MO. That's not in his character. He wants us to move forward, but sometimes the way that he wants to grow us um, is always super painful. And so let's jump into it. Let's just jump into the series and just really kind of see what are a couple of practical ways that we can address this idea of thriving and what does God have to say for us. So the first point, if you're taking notes, um, is you need to be able to see the need. Sounds simple. Sounds honestly kind of ridiculous, right? But you have to be able to identify what it is that you're trying to change. 
You have to identify what about your life you don't like. What about your life that you're no longer satisfied with? What about your life honestly has a little bit of pain in it and you're no longer interested in experiencing that pain? And this is a weird concept, right? The idea that if you want to change our behavior, only, that only happens when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. For me, something I had to do in this past year um, is I had to start uh, really controlling what I ate. And I really just had to stop like eating out as much because I'm the t- I have the personality type. Uh, here's an example. Let's say uh, uh, I'm going to like go hiking or I'm going to go to the gym and say I forget my shoes, but I'm literally sitting in my driveway. My first response is not get out of the car, go back inside, get my shoes. My first thought is there's a store on the way that I can stop at and buy new shoes. And so just imagine how that works out when it comes to eating. Just imagine how that when it comes to eating, because I also have a personality type that I rarely eat the same thing. I always try something new, pretty adventurous eater, and so I'm like going to do fun stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, and, and I'm in ministry, and we're, uh, you know, if you're ever in OB, there's tons of good restaurants that you can easily walk to. Everywhere I go, we'd go out to eat, and be like, ooh, I know I should have the salad. I know I should have, you know, the chicken and, like, the greens and be sad about myself. But you know what? I'm going to treat myself because that's just the way life is. I'm getting the burger. I'm getting the sweet potato fries because sweet potatoes are better for you, even though they're covered, <laughs> absolutely covered in salt, and they've been fried. That's my personality type. So something I had to do because the pain of simultaneously carrying more weight than I was comfortable with and also just getting older and my metabolism not being anywhere near what it used to. You know, before I could eat like a ton of fast food and it was like no big deal. Now if I eat any fast food, it stays with me for weeks at a time. Is that I had to start, uh, you know, like basically meal prepping. My wife and I would have to start like cooking, you know, a couple times a week, preparing them, putting them in the little black boxes. Everywhere I go, carrying them, throwing them in the microwave, eating as I'm on my way. Because I was no longer interested in the pain of carrying more weight than I wanted to and honestly experiencing just probably something like food allergies or something, just consistently feeling sick and upset and walking into that. And at the end of the day, like, oh my gosh, what did I eat? I'm going to have carrots for dinner. I was tired of doing that, but that became a theme. So I had to move. I had to say, I'm no longer interested in that pain. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to take necessary steps. I'm honestly going to sacrifice a little bit so that I can move in the direction that I want my life to go to. All right, so the passage of Scripture um, that we are going to be in is we're going to be in the book of Exodus. Um, Exodus, maybe if you're thinking about, you know, Moses and all that. Uh, yeah, so Exodus um, is a story of the Israelites moving from Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt, and God, um, you know, told Pharaoh, let my people go. If you're a little bit older, you think Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, right? If you're a little bit younger, you think of the Prince of Egypt, you know, the animated movie. that has a really, really good soundtrack. Actually, it's a pretty decent movie. Um, what's funny about both of them is that they really present Moses far better than he was. I mean, Moses is awesome. He's a person, uh, a hero of faith we can absolutely look up to. Um, but at the same time, he had major, major issues. Uh, like, he, for instance, he thought, my wife's really attractive. And if I show up in front of Pharaoh and I'm like, hey, she's my wife, he's going to want to marry her. So I'm going to say, my wife's my sister. I just, as being a married man of 15 years now, I just imagine the eye rolls and like just the audible groans of like, what are you doing to me? And he's like, oh, yeah, she's just my sister. You can totally take her. Like all of this happens to Moses. Like he is a person that we can look up to, but we can also relate with, right? I think that's important to be able to relate with the person um, that you look up to. And so that's this Moses. This is that story. Uh, And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 7. All right, should be up here. All right, verse 7 says this. It says, the Lord said, a little bit of context. This is the burning bush incident as well. 
If you've not, if you've never read the Bible or anything like that, Moses is uh, walking around with his um, his, his flocks, and uh, and he's kind of chasing after one, and then he sees that there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning. I know, it sounds super weird. Read your Bible. There's all kinds of awesome, fascinating stuff in there about it. And so this is the bush. This is God talking to Moses. And he says this. He says, The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now, verse 9, the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, fun context, right? The Israelites are enslaved. And they're also very prolific in building families and having babies, and so they are growing. So the Pharaoh's like, this is great, but I kind of have to control them a little bit. And Moses was actually an Israelite baby who was sent downstream, was found by someone in the royal household, and was raised in the royal household. Moses then, later on in his life, sees his people, the Israelites, being oppressed by an Egyptian and kills the guy. Like, kills him, murders him, hides the body, and flees. He then spends decades running and hiding, essentially, and this moment right here is God calling him back to his people. Now, just think about that for a second. You've committed a major crime in any culture, in any context. Going back is definitely not a good idea. You're going to face the crimes. I don't know how their, you know, like, statute of limitations and all that worked out, but, like, going back would not have been a good idea. But not only was he going back, God's going to tell him that eventually you're going to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man ever that's ever lived, that's ever ruled at that time. And you're going to say, hey, this free labor force that you have, yeah, you've got to let us go. You've got to give us back. And you're actually going to pay us to leave. That's ultimately what he calls him to do. But what I think that we can see from this is that God hears their cries. God understood. God was aware of what was happening, and he was moving actively to rescue them. And so for you in your own life, whatever's happening, whatever that you are going through that may seem like God is silent, that your prayers have fallen on deaf ears, right? The idea of like, you know, you send a text message and the person has read receipts and it says read and they never respond. And then you ask them about it and they say, oh, I never saw it. And it's like, you are lying to me. Sometimes our prayers can feel like that, right? The idea used to be a voicemail. Nobody leaves voicemails anymore. If you're still leaving voicemails, just stop leaving voicemails. Just text the person what your voicemail says. But this is the idea, right? Sometimes we don't think God can hear us. God isn't listening to us anymore. But something that you have to understand about the pain that you're going through, something you have to understand about the hurt that you're going through, is that God is not just interested in rescuing you from pain. God is not simply trying to tell you, I don't want you to hurt anymore. I don't like that. God doesn't want us to hurt unnecessarily. God doesn't want us to go things for no good reason. But God is always interested in growing us and shaping us uh, and forming us into, into his character really into the likeness of Jesus. He's, he's interested in changing us and making us, you know, as everybody keeps saying, the best version of ourselves. Now, as followers of Jesus, the best version of ourselves always means, how does that relate to Jesus? How does that look like whenever I'm looking at Jesus? How does my life line up with that? So the pain that you're going through, the suffering that you're going through, absolutely, I don't think God is just putting you in there because he's miserable and wants, to, wants other people to be miserable, but he is trying to grow you. He's trying to shape your character. And like anything, if you want it to grow, you have to submit it 
to stress. You have to submit it to a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering. If you want to get better at running, guess what? You've got to go running. Whatever it is that you are trying to get better at, you've got to put in the time. And to grow and to really experience character change, you're going to have to go through difficult times. If no one has ever told you that, I apologize. We can talk about the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus later. Just kidding. So just a little bit of recap. So I've come down to rescue them and to bring them up out of that land to a land, uh, a good land, good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So imagine this. You're, you're enslaved. You're in terrible conditions. You're in the desert. Your life is as miserable as it can possibly get. And God is saying, I'm going to take you out of this place. I'm going to take you to a place flowing with milk and honey. This idea of milk and honey, really from a biblical perspective, is, is just abundance. That God is, going to give you, God is going to give you more than maybe you even think that you need. He's interested in moving us to that place. He doesn't want us living with a scarcity mentality, right? A, a poverty mentality that, oh, I'm never going to ever have enough. I'm never going to have enough. That's the way my life's been. That's just the way it works out. He wants to move them into a place of abundance, which is not synonymous with prosperity, but we can get into that later. But here's a helpful graphic if you're wondering just kind of how it worked out. So where the red line starts over here, over here, that is where they were. When they're enslaved, they're in Egypt. The promised land is here in this area. Now, you know, if, you, if they were to just travel straight across, take like, I don't know, a week, maybe a little bit. There was a lot of people, but if they hoofed it, they could have made it across. But if you notice, that's not at all what happened. Uh, God took them on the scenic route. All the way down, you know, it's on the coast, I suppose. Maybe that's some nice views. That, I don't know much about geography, but those are definitely mountains. Not easy or convenient. You know, people go hike in mountains for exercise, not for leisure, usually. All the way down, and then it gets purple, so things are kind of improving. They go up, they go, oh, they're starting to make progress, and then they don't. And then they go down, and then they finally make their way back up. So like experts say that like to walk that would take maybe a couple of weeks. It took them 40 years. It's because men were in charge and they didn't bother to ask for directions is how the joke goes. But this is the wilderness wanderings. This is whenever you, if you read about scripture or hear people talking about it, this is the wilderness wanderings. They watched God perform amazing miracles. And then as they start to move towards the promised land, they honestly rebel a little bit. And so God has to uh, take them through a couple of things. And one thing that we have to be careful of, that we have to be intentional about, because all of us have a control freak inside of us, whether we want to admit it or not, is that we have to stay in step with God. And if you're not a control freak, just wait. It'll happen. I was so laid back. I was so cool and chill and responsive. Then I had children. And now it's like, just yell at my kids all day long. They're wonderful children. They're great. Uh, but they're great because I yell at them, is what I'm convinced of. But one thing that we have to be intentional about understanding and saying is that we, if we're not careful, we will settle when life just gets a little bit easier or a little bit convenient. We are creatures of leisure. We are creatures of convenience. And so when things stop being so bad, we will settle there and stop and say, God, this is as good as it can possibly get. Now, that on the one hand could sound good, right? Like, oh, you have low standards, you're easily satisfied. But you can also find yourself having those, that same, uh, you know, living in that terrible environment relationally. Or maybe in your work environment. Maybe, maybe God is calling you in your relationship to, to step it up and moving it from just surviving and just not fighting to like actually thriving. And I know that sounds crazy for some people. Or maybe for some of you, you're at your job and maybe you're like, I punch in, I punch out. They get what they deserve. I put in as minimum effort as I can, and that's all that they need. What are they going to do for me? It's possible 
that God wants you to stretch yourself and to move forward and to, to try a little bit harder because maybe God wants to use you to promote you, to put you in a position of influence at your company. Wherever it is in your life, if we're not careful, we will settle in a spot where God is fully intending us to just pass through. That God is calling you to better things. Like, like for me, I just think about like when I was in sixth grade and the love of my life, we'd been dating for nearly two full school weeks. And, uh, and we were in love. And I prayed to God. I said, God, this is definitely the one we need to be together forever. I'm really glad God didn't answer it because who knows what they actually want at sixth grade. And if you are that story, that's awesome and beautiful. I'm not saying it doesn't work out that way. But I'm really glad, glad God didn't answer that prayer. I'm really glad I didn't settle in that reality. I'm really glad I'm not in charge of that much of my life because God has better things for us. Sometimes even further, even if you are like really particular, even if you are like really good at lists, like New Year's resolutions, right? Like something about New Year's resolutions that's so fascinating is you fall into one of two groups. You will either already did your New Year's resolutions like back in, you know, like on Thanksgiving break or something like that. And you wrote it out and you have your vision board and you have your words for the year. And you have all of your goals and you're already good to go and you've already crushed them and you're already hitting it. There's those people. And all you need for God to do is, God, there's a couple of things that I can't control. I can't control gravity. I can't control, like, you know, when the sun sets, things like that. And so, God, if you keep up your end of that bargain, this is going to be a great year. It's great if you're there, but, you know, you're a bit of a control freak. You give God too little credit sometimes, maybe. Uh, if you're on the other end of it, and this is kind of where I'm falling in, uh, you're hoping to start your goal setting in February. You are really going to get after it. Uh, January, uh, you know, is like a warm-up month, and you're just kind of kind of play around with it and recover stuff. You know, you're paying off credit card debt from, from Christmas and all that, and, and you are eventually going to start making goals. But really what you're going to do is, as things happen, you're going to respond to them really, really well, and that's going to be kind of your impressive goal setting is, man, some really curveballs came, and I did my best to hit them, right? So, like, wherever you find yourself in that span, um, you know, kind of that grouping, that really says a lot about, you know, like, your, one, your view of God and really your view of control. And, and like I said, we, we want control and we sometimes have higher standards than we think anybody could possibly have. And sometimes God is going to temper those standards. Sometimes God is going to change those standards, edit those standards a little bit. And for some of us, we are way too easily satisfied. Way too easily satisfied. And God is calling us up. God is, God is pushing us, trying to lift us up to be like, no, there's more to life than what you think. All right, let's continue. So now we're jumping forward a little bit to Numbers chapter 9. And uh, the, the, the book of Numbers uh, is exactly what it sounds like. The first part of it is all about uh, basically a great big kind of a survey, big family historical narrative, um, uh, you know, remembering the names and stuff like that of people. But uh, later on, it actually gets into kind of some of the drama um, of Scripture. And so it'll be uh, Numbers chapter 9, uh, verse 15. So this is interesting. So it says, On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it from evening till morning. The cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. Okay, what, what are we talking about? Okay, so essentially here's what happens. Uh, whenever the Israelites were called into the wilderness and they traveled, they, had, they carried a, number, a couple of items with them. They carried two items, the Ten Commandments, the second version, because the first version uh, Moses threw down at a golden calf and destroyed it. Um, and then it was Aaron's staff. I believe it's Aaron's staff that uh, it was a dead staff, but actually like, basically it started to bud. It started to grow again. And so those things were in what's called like the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody seen the Indiana Jones uh, Raiders, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark? If you touch it, look at it, it kills you. 
this is what it is. We don't know necessarily, but this is what's happening. And so they would walk 